theyeshiva.net. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Baruchim Abayim. Welcome back. Wonderful to see you all. And uh, we're ready to begin, yeah? So we're going to start today. Be'ezer Hashem Yisbaruch, something new, a new Maimer. And this is actually a Maimer Chesidus that was said and written by uh, a successor of the Balatanya, known as the Rebbe Rasham. Just to give you context, as you'll see in the copies, I want to thank Rabbi Gans for making the copies. In the front page it says, Sefer HaMaimorim Tofresh Nun Zayin. He's known as the Rebbe Rashab, Reb Shalom Doivber, and he was the fifth Rebbe in the dynasty of Chabad. The Balatanya, the Alter Rebbe, Rebbe Shnei Zalman, was its founder. He passed away, Tofkuf Ayin Gimel, Chavdala 1812. He was succeeded by his son, Reb Doiv Ber, a similar name, half a, half a name similar, identical, known as the Mittele Rebbe, who passed away a few years later in Tovkov Peches on Teskislev, 1827. He was succeeded by his son-in-law, who was also a grandson of the Balatanya, the Tzamach Tzedek, <coughs> Reb Menachem Mendel of Lubavitch. He was the third one. He passed away in Tovkov Chavov which is 1866, before Pesach, Yud Gimel Nissen. He was succeeded by his son. You don't have to remember all of this. I'm just, <laughs> I like to give the full picture. By his youngest son, known as the Rebbe Maharash, Reb Shmuel, <coughs> uh, who uh, passed away in Tofresh Mem Gimel, which is 1880, uh, 1883, 1882, Yud Gimel Tishrei. And he was succeeded by his son, known as the Rebbe Rashab, Reb Shalom Doiv Ber, who was the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, because the Balatanya, the Mittler Rebbe, the Tzamech Tzadik, the Maharaj, and then the Rashab. He's known as the Rashab because of the acronym of his name. And uh, he passed away, Beis Nissen Tafresh Pei, 1920, in Rostov, in Russia, was succeeded by his son, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rebbe Yosef Yitzchak, the Rayats, the Rebbe Rayats, who passed away in New York. He escaped... Nazi occupied Warsaw in 1940 and he passed away in New York in 1950, Yutschvat, who was succeeded then by his son in law, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the most recent Lubavitcher Rebbe, who was the son in law of the Rebbe Rayatz, who was the son of the Rashab. Why did I choose this Maimer from all the Maimarim? This is a Maimer that's known in the world of Chsidus as Viadaita Moskva. That's its name. Viadaita Moskva. Viadaita and Moskva don't seem to be connected. Moskva is the Yiddish word for Moscow. Viadaita is the word, the Pasuk, the verse with which this Maimah begins. The reason is, in the winter of this year, Tofresh Nun Zion, which would be 1897, Tofresh Nun Zion is 1897, the Lubavitcher who was one of the prominent leaders of Russian Jewry at a very difficult era, spent a long time in Moscow. And that winter, he said this Maimah, a long maimer called Viadaita. It starts off with the Pasuk Viadaita Hayoim from Parshas Veschanan. And thus, the maimer became known as Viadaita Moskva, meaning the Viadaita, which was said in Moscow, which was not his residence. His residence was a little town in Belarus called Lubavitch, very different than Moscow. Moscow was 
Moscow remains central urban uh, metropolitan of, of, of Russia, its culture, its government, its leadership. He lived in a little, in a little shtetl, but he was there because of uh, issues pertaining to the general s- situation of Russian Jewry, and he said that mimer there. So it's known as Vyadaita Moskva. And uh, the uniqueness of it is why I chose it is because it's one of the discourses in which he, uh, in a very elaborate and extraordinary, beautiful fashion, explains some of the fundamental teachings of the Balatanya and of the Balshemtiv and generally of uh, the world of Pnimiya Satira in an extremely uh, illustrative way with metaphors and examples and illustrations and applying it to life. So I thought it would be a very, uh, it would be uh, moving and uh, relevant and inspirational and meaningful to learn this mimer. So we're going to begin. And you'll see a lot of the concepts that we have learned over the years from the Alter Rebbe, from the Balatanya, are here explained in uh, the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, was unique that he uh, he took a lot of the concepts and he really uh, placed them in the context of uh, of of Jewish scholarship and explained it in a very organized fashion. So it begins on the Pasik via Daita. He said it in the winter, and it's relevant also to this time of the year because, as we will see, it deals with the whole sugya of Golos Mitzrayim and Yitzias Mitzrayim, which actually begins in this week's parsha of Ayigash, where Yosef meets his brothers, he reveals himself to his brothers, and Yaakov comes down to Egypt, and the beginning of the journey, the sojourn of the Jewish people in Mitzrayim begins. As we will see, that's also connected to this time of the year. It's not just connected to the, to the summer. Could you just give me a chumash? So he starts off, you say, Be'esamach Dalad Nun Zayin. Nun Zayin simply is the headline of the year, because it was Tafresh Nun Zayin, like you'll say, Ayin Tes Nun Zayin, as I said, 1897. I'm just finishing the Pasuk. Moshe Rabbeinu tells the Jewish people in Parshas Vashchanan, you should know today, and bring it to your heart that Hashem is Elikim. Hashem Hu Elikim, which is a very famous expression. And he says, in the heaven above, in the earth below, Ein Oid, there's nobody else. The verses before this Pasuk, which is in Parshas Vashchana, all speak about the experience of the Jewish people going out of Egypt and then coming into the land right afterwards, after 40 years. That's the discussion in this parsha. Moshe Rabbeinu is recalling Jewish history, telling them about their past, discussing their future, cautioning them about the hazards and reminding them who they are and what they ought to live up to. After discussing... Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim and Matan Torah and going into Eretz Yisrael, he says, he finishes, like, V'yadata Hayoim, that's his summation. You should know today, Ki Hashem Hu Alekim. V'tzarech lahavun shaychus in Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, Muknesis Aretz L'v'yadaita. One has to understand the connection and context after talking about 
leaving Mitzrayim and entering into Eretz Yisrael, that he chooses right here to summarize it with this Pasuk, you should know today. I mean, all of Yiddishkeit is about but he chooses to put it into this point, into this juncture. First, we have to understand what it what he means when he says, "You should know that Hashem who elikim." When we read it in the pasuk, we say, "Ki Hashem who elikim which is Hashem, Havaya, who elikim is elikim. So, if you look in the English translations, they'll always say, "You should know that the Lord is God." What's the difference? And if you say that God is the Lord, it's like saying you should know that God is God. Yeah, I mean, if it's God, it's God. Viadata, you could say you should know that there is a God, I understand. Moshe is not telling them you should know that there is a God. He's saying, Havaya, Yutkevovke, is Elikim. And that's, the, that's, that's where the expression comes, Hashem, who Elikim, like we'll say at the end of Yom Kippur, seven times. Or Eliyahu Hanavi, there's a story with Eliyahu Hanavi, the Jews tell him, Hashem, who Elikim. So different Mepharshim give different explanations. What's the idea of Hashem, who Elikim? There's Hashem and there's Elikim, and you're saying Hashem is Elikim. It says, It's knowing what the Zoyar says. The Havaya of Elikim Kulachat. The Zoyar says that what Moshe Rabbeinu is teaching the Jewish people is a fundamental idea. That Yutke Vofke and Elikim are really all one. That's what the Zoyar says. There's something called Yutke Vofke, there's something called Elikim. You might differentiate between them. You should know Hashem, who Elikim, it's really one. Which apparently, says the Rebbe, this is difficult to understand. What does it mean that they're one? Moshe says Hashem is Elikim. So the Zoyer says they're one. But what does this really mean? To explain what the question is, it's one. Zoya says it's one, it's one. So he's going to elaborate. What does the Zoya mean, Hashem and Elikim Achat? First, we have to understand what these two names mean. Now, this, as usual, is going to be here words that are abstract and uh, esoteric and mystical, but they'll be explained. So don't get, to, don't, don't get scared. Havaya is the source of expression. Gilu means expression. In Medrash and in Zoya, many places, the name Yutke Vovke is associated with Midas Harachamim, the attribute of compassion, which he's associating here also with the Mokir Hagilu, the source of expression. Vahainu, what do we mean when we say Mokir Harachim? We don't only mean there's empathy, there's compassion, it's positive. But that the name Yudke Vavke represents a divine expression, a gilui. Gilui literally means revelation, right? Like legalois, gilui, nigla, revealed, expressed, manifested. It's not concealed, it's not curtailed. So Avaya represents a gilui, full exposure, full expression and manifestation, which is the quality of chesed, of kindness and rachamim and compassion, a full manifestation of kindness and compassion without any 
Hakbala without any limitation or hindrance at all. The Kol Hakbala, Pumashem Alakim, Kamashi is boy. Whenever we talk about a Hakbala, Hakbala means the word Gvul, which is finite. Any limit, any hindrance in that expression is always associated with a different name of Hashem, Elikim, as we will explain. The name Havaya Yudkevavke represents the quality of Gilui, of expression, without any gvul, bligvul, without any limitation, without any hindrance at all. In contrast, you have the name Alakim, Hubchinis Midas Hadin, many places in Medrish, and Chazal, and Zohar, and other places. Elikim is associated with Midas Hadin, which is the attribute of judgment. So what's that what's the idea of din here? He says, Hatsimtsum. Midas Hadin wa Hatsimtsum, the attribute of din. Din means discipline or judgment or sternness. Vahatsimtsum and restriction. Litsamtsim to Tsimtsum means to restrict. Like you contract, you compress, you limit. Litsamtsim to restrict, ulahalim and to conceal as Hagiluyoy the full-fledged expression and manifestation of the light. So in contrast to a Gilea manifestation, which is bligvul, which is without limit, Elikim introduces the, another quality, and that's the quality of, of tzimtzum, of restriction, of concealment, of putting a stop to the Gilea, to the manifestation. And from this quality comes also tremendous diversity. Ribui, the multitudes of eschalkos, of divisibility, eschalkos from the word lechalek, to devise, to, to dis, disintegration, divisions. Right? The word machloikas comes from the word lechalek, to split. Or machloikas is a negative term because it means a fight, but the word is chiluk, you make differences. All of the differences, differentiations, is also a result of elikim. Velachain b'shem elikim ksiv loshen rab, which is why the only name of Hashem that will be used in the plural is Elikim. Not Ale- there's Elika, but there's also Elikim. Elikim You have it throughout Chumash. Rashi points out many times that Elikim is Lashen Rabbim. It's in the plural. Avramavinu says, when El- as though it's many, but it's not, it's one. Hashem is in the singular. All the names, Shindalad Yud, and all of the other names. Kale, for example, they're all in the singular, it's one. But Elikim is many, plural. That's why we even use Elikim for judges, like the Pasuk says, Elikim loisakalo. So one of the explanations, according to Rabbi Shmuel, is Elikim is Bezdin. It's the court, is also called Elikim. The courts, which is many, it's not court, can't be one person. What's the point? Because that's the point. Elikim is the source for differentiation. It's the source for the plurality of existence. Because only from the tzimtzum, from the restriction of havaya. Havaya is the term used here for yudke vavke. Instead of using yudke vavke, which you usually don't spell out because it's a yud and then a hey, you don't write it. So he calls it havaya. That's the expression. Havaya is yudke vavke. So from the tzimtzum, the restriction and the concealment of yudke vavke, of havaya, that's where there comes ribuy, so much division and differentiation and distinctions and multiplicity 
all rooted in Elekim. So Elekim itself is Lashen Rabbim because it is the source, it is the progenitor of all of the various distinctions. Aloshen HaKabbalah, to use terminology of Kabbalah, which is a different terminology, shame, but it's the concept, the same concept, shame HaVayu Mokar HaOiris. The shame Elekim is Mokar HaKelem. The terminology that's used till now the terminology of chesed versus din. That's not Kabbalistic terminology that you have in Nigla as well, especially in Medrash. But the terminology, he says, this is Lashna Kabbalah. This is terminology that is frequent in all of the writings of the Kabbalah, especially the writings of the Arizal and his students. But even before the Arizal, the Ramak and others. The same. But we're going to be learning about, yeah, what the meaning of tzimtzum is, which, which explores the argument that you're referring to. He's going to get back, he's going to get to that later. So, Shem Havaya is the source of what we call Eir, and Shem Alakim is the source of what we call Kela. It's important to understand, as will be very clear soon, but I'm just saying this as an answer, when we say Havaya and Alakim, you know, we always think about things in polarities. There's some force called Havaya Lekim. As we're going to learn, Havaya Hu Lekim, it's one. But we're describing the characteristics that each of them represent, which is why this is called Havaya and this is called Lekim. So Havaya is the source of Oiris, which literally means lights. And Lekim is the source for Kalim, which literally means vessels. A Kali is a container which contains the light. What's the difference? Ha'oyr hu pashat, belishum is chalkos klalo beligvul. Oyr, light or energy, is probably a easier, is probably a better translation, is pashat. What we mean by pashat is not pashat as simple, pashat as, you know, it's so pashat, but pashat here is from the word like mufshat. Pashat, simple, it's really simple. Simple in the sense that it's pashat, it's mufshat, it's divested from characteristics that can define it. So you'll say a pashat from the word mufshat. Mufshat means, you'll say mufshat, it's abstract, it's divested. Lahafshit is halavushim, is to strip your garments. So pashat means you have to take it away, you have to divest it from particular categories or characteristics. Belishum is chalkos cloth. There's no divisibility in it. Ubelikvul, and there's also no finiteness to it. The oir who may ain hamoyer, because the definition of light in Nister, in Kabbalah and Chassidus, when it says oir, it's may ain hamoyer. May ain hamoyer means it's like it reflects the source of the light. The moyer is the luminary, like we say in Bereshis, shnei moyeris hagadolim, the two great luminaries. Right, the moyer hagadol is the sun, the moyer hakotin is the moon. So the oir is may ain hamoyer. The light reflects the source of the light. The ray, say the sun, the ray of the sun is a reflection of its source. Because it always remains connected to the luminary. You can't put down the Venetian blinds or the curtains or cover the window and expect that the light will remain in the room. There's no such a thing. If the source is gone, the rays are gone. The rays are always connected. They always are represent a continuum, an extension of the luminary. 
You can't make a separation between the oil, the light, and the moir, the source of the light. It's not like a person shares an idea, or a person makes a painting, or writes an article, and even after the writer or the painter, the communicator is not there, the ideas remain, the product remains. With oil, it's not that way. If the moir is gone, if the source is gone, there's no oil. In other words, oil is a continuous reflection of its source. It's not independent. It never becomes detached, autonomous, independent, assuming its own identity. As it's known in the metaphor of the light of the sun. So when we speak about spiritually, just as the luminary, the source, who is simple in utmost simplicity. What do we mean simple? Divested from any particular definition or characteristic. The Meyer, of course, here is Hashem. So Beli is Chalkus and has no division of Bligvul and is infinite. It doesn't have finiteness. So the Oyer, when we use the word Oyer, Oyer means the way the Meyer is expressed. The Oyer is a revelation, a reflection of the source of the Oyer. And since the source of the Oyer is infinite, and doesn't have any particular characteristic, and is not divisible, it's complete oneness. So the oil, the way it's manifested, the way it's expressed, oil reflects it, it brings out, it brings, in the physical example, right, it brings the, the warmth, the light, the heat, the, intense, the intensity of the heat and the warmth of the sun to us, it carries those characteristics, those qualities, so to speak. So when we say, it means that Yudke Vavke represents the source for the oir of Hashem. Yeah, in this, in this, in this context, oir and ziv is the same thing. Oir means light and ziv means ray. Oh, you're asking what's the difference of oir and moir, not oir and ziv. You mean oir and moir? So you're saying in the physical example we understand you have the sun and you have the light of the sun, right? We don't have the sun in this room. Well, we also, also don't have the light of the sun in this room. But you'll have a home that's being illuminated by the sun or the planet Earth, right? The sun is not in your dining room or in your living room or on your porch, because it would get pretty hot, and uh, you would become the toast that you want to eat for breakfast. But the ray of the sun is what extends from the sun. You're asking in the in the in the nimshal, what's the difference between the oir and and the moir? Okay, so that will become clear later. But generally speaking, the moir is the source itself, and the oir is the way it's manifested, the way it's expressed, the way it the way it comes out, the way it could be experienced. That will become clear later what that means, what these two things are. The name Elikim is the source of Kalim. It's a source of a different concept. What's a Kali? Kali. The function of the Kali is in the Kalim, in the, in the vessels. The light is restricted. And it's concealed. Two things. Umagbilimesar, they limit the light. Shabab ibchinas is chalkus chachma vechesed. 
And this is where the light begins to be divided. There's what we call the light of Chachma, what we call the ten spheres. There's the energy of Chachma, the energy of Chesed, the energy of Gvura, the energy of Tiferes. It says in Yudkei Vavke, in the Oyer itself, there's no division. division. There's no Ischalkos. Not even spiritual divisions of qualities, characteristics. It's the Kalim. It's the Kalim, according to this explanation, which causes the Oyer now to be channeled in a particular way, with a particular definition and identity. The Kali creates a certain identity. Identity means, by definition, you're this and you're not that, right? When you say, this is who I am, this is my identity, this is what I like, this is my disposition, this is my nature. The identity in the earth, this is the Heschalkos of the earth, to give it character. Whether it's the character of Chachma, wisdom, the character of Chesed, which is love, or any other characteristic. We speak about ten characteristics, Chachma, Bina, Das, Chesed, Gvura, Teferis, Netzach, Choyt, Yisrael, Malchus, etc., and many more. That's all a Chiddush, that's all the product, the influence of what? Of Kalim, Shekol, Zeo, Kalim. All this, the restriction of the light, the concealment of the light, the visibility of the light, the light now assuming a category, a definition, an identity, this is all a chiddush of keli. It's the marriage between the oir, the energy, and the keli, and the vessel that, so to speak, imposes on the oir, right? It's limited, relatively limited identity. Even if it's just limited in the fact that it has a name, we can identify it as something we can relate to. Chesed is love. We all have some image of what love is. Chachma means wisdom. We all have some, some context in which to place these words. different wavelengths of light. That's, that's a good metaphor. The kalim create different wavelengths of light where without the kalim you don't have that differentiation in the light. And even though when we speak about kalim, the vessels of the ten spheres, they reveal the light that is manifested in them the function of the keli is not to block. The function of the keli is to channel, to reveal, to actually express. Throughout the whole literature of Pnimi Yisatayr, of Nista, of Kabbalah and Chesedis, the function of keli is, a keli means to actually hold the light and pass it on. To hold it, not to get rid of it, not to block it, not to destroy it, but actually to create, like you'll say, you have to create a keli for it. What do you mean create a keli for it? Create a vessel to hold it, that it shouldn't disappear. In other words, the function of the keli is to reveal, not to conceal. Isn't this contradicting everything we just said? An example would be the physical brain. Is a channel for the mind, for the power of reason, the power of thinking. There is the physical brain is like the keli. The physical mayach. But inside the keli, there's an ur. That ur would be the ur haseichel. Call it the, the power of the mind, the soul that is in the brain. What's the function of the physical brain? When you study a physical brain, right? it's an extraordinary keli that holds and contains and can create the functionality for the spiritual incredible power of the mind which is manifested in and through the brain. You have the eye. The chemistry of the eye is a physical chemistry that what? That allows it to become a keli, a vessel, 
to channel and express and manifest and reveal the power of vision. The power of vision doesn't begin with the eye. The power of vision is a spiritual power. It's a power of the soul, and it exists even before the soul comes into a body. It's the power of Re'iyah. But the marriage of the power of vision, the spiritual power, and the keli called the eye with all of its characteristics, and the creation of the eye is, is one of those uh, infinite examples of those extraordinary experiences of nature. What uh, people get uh, impressed from, uh, from, from fighter jets and other, uh, other similar military planes that have, uh, that have hundreds of cameras on all sides and it pales in comparison to uh, the thousands of cameras that exist within the eye in all of its uh, details and nuances. So that's a keli to be megala, to reveal the eiria. Because you'll, you'll, this, the spiritual power of vision, you'll place it in the stomach. The stomach doesn't have the keli, it's not a vessel for it. Just like the foot doesn't think. The foot is a keli for something else. And the ears is a keli for something else. It's, the keli is, is measured, it's created in a way to channel the particular energy. That's what a keli means. Halev megalas hamidas. On another level, the heart is a keli for emotions, for palpable, physical, the physical experience of emotion. Excitement, fear, anger, love, closeness, that you feel it in your heart. The heart is made in a way to, to experience it. I mean, obviously it's all through the brain, but there's the place where one senses this experience. The reason it's this way by a person, it's because always, it begins above. We are a metaphor, we are a reflection. It says in Zohar, Chesed is associated with the mind, Chesed is associated with the right arm, the whole function of Kali is not to block, to reveal, to channel, to express, to manifest the oil. It's a Kali. You say, he is a Kali for this. This is a vessel for this oil. As it's known. The canal, as we said before, the whole structure of the soul and the body is that the guf, every part of the body is a different Kali. For a distinct dimension of the soul. The entire chemistry and physiological makeup of human biology is such that every single dimension of the human body, the guf, is essentially a keli for a particular manifestation of the soul. Whether it's chachma bin adas in the brain and all of the other koiches that are manifested, faculties that are manifested through that particular organ. Hine shneim emes. There's no contradiction there. Both components are true. What are both components? That we started off to say that Kali is my limit, it conceals, it restricts, it channels, it creates categories, it, it so to speak, undermines, it changes the air. And then we just said that it reveals. Does it block or does it reveal? Why? Kalim's function is to reveal the air. And in the very same moment, it conceals and blocks. Master conceals it, block, eclipses the air. What do you mean? What, what is this, a joke? What do you mean? It conceals and it reveals. So it doesn't reveal, it does con- reveal. It's a filter, right? The Masha Megalamisa 
when we say that it reveals it reveals but what does it reveal? it reveals the that is commensurate that is suitable to the world that the worlds he says because there's many worlds as we will see Kali reveals the oir that's lefierich ha'olamus, meaning the oir that's suitable. Lefierich means it's erich means value. It's commensurate. It's suitable. It's be'erich to the oilamus that the world could contain it. The akelim, the esesphere is the atzilus. If you start all the way on top, the highest world in Kabbalah is known as atzilus. The vessels for the ten lights of atzilus, spheres means light, like Evan Sapir. Sapphire stone, right? Which is luminescence. The term is ten spheres. You've heard the term. Ten lights. Chachma, bina, das. So each light has a keli. Oir and keli work together. So take the kalim of esses spheres of the highest world. What's their function? They reveal the oir in the world of Atsilas, that the world of Atsilas could experience the light. Go next level. Go to next world. There's a parsa. Parsa means a curtain, a veil. In, in Chumash, when it says Masach, the Targum says parsa. Parsa means a veil. The veil that separates the world of Atzillus and the next world, Bria. Now you have Harei Megalim Esor, Ba'ilam Abriya. The Kalim of Bria. They access the air and they reveal it in a way that Bria could contain it. And then go to the next, Mibriya Li Yitzira, Chuli, back to, down to Asiya. Ve'en Zepchin is Giluya Erkamashahu. But the Kali will never reveal. And bring out the oil as it is in its pristine form. It brings out the oil the way it's custom made. The way it could be contained according to the world. In other words, it filters it. It limits it. And therefore it conceals it while it reveals it also. It reveals it, but what does it reveal? It reveals the oil that's suitable for this particular world. It conceals that which is not suitable for this particular universe. We explain the oir itself in its pristine truth reflects the moir, which is the luminary, the source. And the moir is undefined. Pashit again is undefined and infinite. So therefore, the oir essentially is completely inconsistent with the world. Why? The definition of a world, forget which type of world, even the most spiritual of worlds, the definition of a world is, there's a yesh, there's identity. We call it a world, a universe. There's some form of existence and there's some form of finiteness. It has an identity and it has limits. It has parameters. Yesh means identity, there's something. Ugvul means it's finiteness. Even the highest world, Atzillus. What's known as the chambers of Atzillus. In the fourth section of Tanya, Geris HaKadosh, we explain this in the Maimer, chapter 20. Certainly, as you de, as you evolve to the lower worlds, Bria, Yitzira, Asiya, they're all finite. And Gvul and Bligvul, finiteness and infinity, are incommensurate with each other. So, therefore, we have an issue. 
So the essential quality of Ayur is inconsistent with the existence of the world. To put it simply, if the world would experience Ayur the way it is, what would be? <laughs> they, couldn't, they, they couldn't be. For the world to feel its existence, if it would experience this reality of, of infinity <laughs> that transcends identity and transcends category and definition and finiteness, how can the world exist and justify itself? It would be lost, it would be submerged, subsumed in this infinity. So if the oil was actually expressed in the world, there would be no world. They, they seem mutually exclusive. So therefore, vim keid muvan, the masha kalim megalim oil bahailamus. So when we say that kalim reveal the oil, ain't a pchinis It doesn't mean they, they bring out, they access, they actualize the etzim, the core of the light. Rather, the keli revealed, but what does it reveal? Only an external ray of the light. The core of the light remains concealed in the keli. The keli filters it out. The keli conceals it. So when I access the earth through the keli, I only get the filtered light that could work with the world. Now it goes deeper. It's not that it's two things. So we said there's no contradiction. We asked, do Kalim reveal or do Kalim conceal? So the Rebbe said both are true. The Rebbe Arshab says the Kalim reveal, but they also conceal. He says it's really not two separate things. It's exactly the same thing. Only by concealing the core of the Ur. Do they reveal the external element of the light, that it should be able to brighten, bring in the light, and affect the world? Both are true. So are kalim, helim, or gilui? Do containers conceal or reveal? says both are true. They conceal the core of the light, because the core is absolutely infinite, undefined, and divisible. They reveal, and they bring out, and they help you access the external, of the, the external dimension of the light, a ray of it, which will not overwhelm and uh, cause the world to cease. And one depends on the other. As he will explain, only by concealing the core... Can the keli reveal the chitzonis? That's the function of the keli. It conceals and reveals simultaneously. By concealing, it could reveal. Because if it wouldn't conceal, it wouldn't be able to reveal. Because the oilimus would cease. They wouldn't be able to have a relationship to the oil. If it would reveal, if it would fully express the oil, if the oil wouldn't have a keli, if the oil would be manifested as is. Because the oil is concealed in the keli, it's filtered, it's channeled, it's restricted. What's restricted? It's essential, pristine, infinite core. So the keli could now channel that ray of air that is commensurate with the world that needs this air and communicate it in a fashion that will benefit it, that will build it, rather than the opposite. A proof to the fact that kalim don't reveal the etzem. 
is from words. What's the function of words? What's the function of verbal communication? To reveal your thought process, to reveal what you're thinking, what you understand, what you're experiencing. But as powerful as the keli, in many ways, words is a keli. You'll say hollow words, the words say nothing. What does it mean the words say nothing? It means it's pus, this is no, no keli, it's an empty vessel. Because words are here to carry something, to, to express something. A person could speak gibberish, right? As they say, a person could speak and speak and speak. Somebody once said he has. Uh, somebody once said about somebody he has special sayata de shmaya, he has special divine help. He could speak for hours and say nothing. Yeah, it's a chiddush. What is the meaning of it? Oisius are kalim, they're vessels. They contain something and they pass it on. But what do they contain? They contain what is inside. You take words to express your feelings, your emotions, your experiences your inner self, ideas, whatever it is. But it's a keli for an oir. That's what oisius are. What do we see? It's megala, but it's only megala. Words could never capture the full core of anything. They could capture that which words allow themselves to become kalim for. But the full pnimius won't be there. And interesting, he brings from Gemara, Chazal say about the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court. They would, uh, means they would uh, debate, discuss, explore the different angles of a court case. Somebody came a whole night, a whole night. I said, why couldn't they take a break? And continue tomorrow. No, they had to go on and on till they finished. So the Gemara says, Because if they take a break, tomorrow you come back, they may forget. They may forget the reasons that were discussed yesterday. So there's no break. You have to remain in the conversation because tomorrow you have to start Chazara. And remember, this is a very serious debate. Should the person die? Should the person live? The person chayev is the person potter. I mean, it's serious. Not just a monetary issue. That can also be very serious. But these were sometimes very serious issues. They can't take a break. They have to stay up all If it's all night, all night. If not, not. But as long as it takes. She says, what, what's pshat? Hagam shoyu shnei There were two, uh, what do we call them? Uh, Stenographers, they're called, scribes of the judges. They used to sit and write down the arguments. Those who sided with the idea that the person is innocent and those who, uh, who, were, who were voting for his guilt. Pirish Rashi. So Rashi answers, the tavne diliboyi loikosviyinshi. The notes of the heart. <laughs> the notes of the heart. You can't write. Vahainu. Now what is, what, this wasn't an emotional experience. It was, it was an intellectual debate. But actually says some things, you look at the piece of paper, you have the words that were said, but you don't have the full, the full emotion and the full experience, even the full intellectual experience. 
V'hainu da mitis pnimiyas kavanosam enim yecholam legalos ba'osis. Kiyim chitzani yosei levad. The greatest writer who's listening to words, he hears the words. So the words are taka kalim. But even though they're kalim, they can only capture the chitzonius of the kavana, not the pnimiyas of the kavana. There's something that the words will not be able to capture. This is an example. The way it is when we speak about Hashem, that Iris and Kalim are two completely different realities. Because even though the Kalim reveal, what do they reveal? It's not stronger than words. Words reveal everything. You're speaking. You're speaking honestly. You're saying. But as much as you're saying, you're also not saying. <laughs> And the ability to say is because you're not saying. That's what he says. Habahatalia. The ability to actually be able to communicate it through Kalim is because something is not being said. Huh? <laughs> so you want to know if you can ever get out the real Pnimius. Yeah, the ISIS reveal, and they, they can reveal a tremendous amount, and they reveal a tremendous amount, and sometimes that, and in 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 the context of what we're discussing here, the kalim of Atzilus is what creates a hechalus of Atzilus. It's what creates all the olamas. It gives it its whole identity. It's not a small thing. Just like in words, words carry tremendous weight, right? Every that's how we access truth. We access the truth of other people. At least one of the major methods is through words. But nonetheless, simultaneous with the gilui, there's also a helen, and the only reason it could do gilui is because it's behelam. It's mylim also. If it wouldn't be mylim. It wouldn't be able to be Megala, the Chitzayinius. It's because it's Mailim, because it conceals, it can also reveal. So they never detached from that. By the Sanhedrin sealing all night, they were always in the, in the heat of the conversation. If they go to sleep, they distract themselves with other stuff. Now they come back and they have to remember their arguments from yesterday or somebody else's argument from yesterday. That's the point. By looking at it, they'll remember the words they said. Yes, verbatim, yeah. Or the way they understood it, either. But even if it was verbatim, so now you have an access to the oil through the through the through through the through the osius, but you don't have an access to the oil directly. We're in the midst of the process itself. They're experiencing what they're saying. Well, Kalim are also Megala. They're Megala also. Of course they're Megala. But they're Megala, the Oyer that is Shaykh to the Kali. In other words, it's the Oyer that's Shaykh to the Kali and Shaykh to the thing that the Kali wants to impact. Right? It's Megala, the Oyer that's Shaykh to the Kali, and that's what the Kali wants to impact. Now, 
This is this is a general introduction to. Uh, I know that all of these concepts are new for a lot of people, and like, what's the point, and where is this getting at, and what does it have to do with my life, and <laughs> etc. But uh, as I told you a few times, that uh, there's two types of chsidas. There's chsidas that's called vertlach. Vertlach means a nice word from the Belitzak of Baditchev or the Moir Veshemesh, the Beimayim Chayim, or the Svasemesh, you know, Shalashudas Vertlach, the people say, a quick fix and a nice, inspiring idea. The Derech of the Balatanya was a very different path where he uh, wanted to transform people and transform the world through really explaining things in a way that it's a much longer path because you have to understand. But... Uh, it's a transformative path because it permeates and penetrates the totality of existence. So here you have an example of this. This is a, a, a slow build-up of concepts and ideas that he will be developing in this Maimer. And uh, it does require a certain amount of diligence. I shouldn't say a certain amount. It requires a, 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 a significant amount of diligence and patience and dedication in order to be able to sit with it and... Uh, dwell in it, and think about it, and internalize it, and then as you'll see, as the Maimah develops, uh, a picture a picture unfolds, and a picture that one can relate to in a very uh, systematic, organized, and most importantly, internalized way. Because it creates certain paradigm shifts and perspectives and hashkafas that will be developed over... Uh, over the course of the conversation, over the course of the mime. Okay, I just want to correct something from yesterday. I We learned a Gemara in Sanhedrin about uh, how words never capture the full intensity of, uh, of the idea or the emotion. So I said over the Gemara for memory, I looked it up this morning, I just want to correct something. The Mishnah, the sources in Sanhedrin, Daf Lamed Hey, Lamed Hey Amed Aleph, the Gemara brings from the Mishnah there that the halacha was that uh, the Sanhedrin, Jewish courts, when they had to try capital crimes, they never did it on Erev Shabbos or Erev Yom Tov. Shabbos and Yom Tov, of course not. But also Fridays or Erev Yom Tov, there, was no, uh, there were no hearings, so to speak. There was no court case in Sanhedrin. That's what the Mishnah says in Masechah Sanhedrin. So the Gemara says, why not? Why couldn't they do it on Friday? So the Gemara answers on, on Sanhedrin of Lamedhe, and this is what this Maimer is referring to. He says, because it was impossible. It was not practical. Why? They wouldn't push off. They wouldn't, as we spoke, they would complete a din, they would complete a verdict as fast as possible. They wouldn't just procrastinate and delay. There was one exception, and that is, if the person was exonerated, in other words, they found that he was meritorious, he was innocent as a result of the vote, that was it. However, if the vote showed it, if the vote showed that he would be guilty, so then they delayed it till the next day, always. Why? To allow an opportunity for people from anywhere, people in the court, people outside, to come with new ideas or new testimony or new facts or new... Uh, observations and new perspectives, remember that the Torah says, 
that the Sanhedrin was obligated to do whatever they can to save a person, which is counterintuitive because you would think the role of the judge is justice. The role of the judge is whatever justice is. It may be good, it may be harsh, but it's justice. But actually it says, In other words, they try, it has to be according to law, it can't be above the law, but they always have to try to rescue, to uh, to spear a person from punishment, even if all the arrows are pointing that way, which is why they were extremely lenient, is very, very stringent about accepting a verdict of guilt and very lenient about accepting a verdict of innocence. For example, you always have to have a majority. When it comes to innocence, it's enough with having a majority by one. When it comes to guilt... You have to have a majority of two at least. In other words, if you have only a majority of one, it's not going to work. We learned that from a Pasuk and Parshish Mishpat. So if somebody was found guilty, they always delayed the verdict. If the vote, they saw that this person is going to be guilty, they delayed the verdict, the psak, till the next day, so there should be time for review. So the Gemara says that's why they couldn't do it Friday. Why? Because they're going to start Friday. They'll finish before Shabbos. What happens if the reasoning is pointing to chayva, to guilt. So now they have to delay it. And uh, and uh, and they, they have to delay it to the next day. Okay. So he says, fine, so you'll finish it on Shabbos. And if you have to kill him, you'll kill him on Shabbos. He says, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to do it on Shabbos. So the Gemara says, okay, you'll finish it on Shabbos. And then if you need, you'll kill him on Sunday. He says, then it's just, the, it's called Inui Hadin. You don't delay a verdict. It's not very unlike how it works in other countries today. But you don't delay it. In other words, if there's a verdict, you implement it. So therefore, they can't do it that way. So he says, okay, why don't you start shop Friday? Start Friday. If he's found innocent, great. And if all the reasoning is showing that he's going to be found guilty, so you'll continue on Sunday. What's the problem? Why did they completely cancel out Friday from work? I mean, it was nice for the Sanhedrin, perhaps. But why? Why did they not start Friday? You'll continue Sunday. That's the question. So the Gemara says, Because from Friday to Sunday, they may forget. People may forget their reasoning, what they thought. And therefore, they don't want to resume it Sunday. Ask the Gemara, but you had two scribes writing down everything. So the Gemara says, They write what is said from the mouth. But but the heart of people, you forget. So they had no choice. So Rashi says, So Rashi says, what does the Gemara mean? Rashi says, You could write what comes out of people's mouths. You can't transcribe the heart of a person, the inner heart of a person. So Rashi says, even if you're going to remind him the words that he said, it will be insufficient when you're dealing with that level of authenticity and clarity and justice that you're looking for. In this case, which is really a life and death issue. So you want the Sanhedrin to be able to function on the highest, highest level, and therefore an interruption from Friday to Sunday is not going to work. Meaning, you could in our in our in our times, you could say, you taped the person, or you uh, I don't know if you're allowed to use that word anymore. You recorded the person, and then you could listen, you could listen to it, or you could read the words. You read a transcript; it's the same words, right? 
But sometimes you know that uh, you could you see it even within yourself. You say something, and you had an, a deep understanding and awareness that prompted those words. A week later, a month later, a year later, you see the same words, but you don't have that inner conviction or clarity or deep emotional uh, awareness that you had then. Ah, you have the words, and the words came from there. The answer is because words are kalim. They are containers. And containers, on one hand, they contain the energy. They contain the idea. They contain the feeling. And not only that, we say, as you mentioned, Rabbi Tom writes in Sefer Hayosha, Dvorim Hayoitzim and Alev, Nichnasim Alev, words that come from the heart and to the heart. In other words, in words themselves, there are two types of words. There are shallow words, hollow words, that are not even kalim. A person is a con artist, right? The words are not kalim. They're just, they're hollow words. We're not talking about that. Even if a person is not a con artist, but sometimes the words are not very uh, sincere. They're more external. So they're not even real kalim because they don't even contain the pnimius of the earth. They're not channels in which the person is really communicating his inner feelings or his or her inner thoughts and convictions. But then there's dvarim ayotzim It's words that actually capture the heart. They're kalim in the, the, in the terminology of the maimah. They are kalim for the earth. They are vessels that contain. And when we say contain, it means they seriously contain it. They capture it and they transmit it. The only way you could transmit your internal experience to somebody else is through verbal communication. I mean, there are other ways, but that is the most uh, common and effective and elaborate. You know, there's body language, which is sometimes deeper even than dibur, because that could sometimes convey things that oisius don't convey, and they're often, they convey unconscious ideas. But nonetheless, even dibur, that captures the depth of an emotion, as the Gemara says, it's very interesting because this is Gemara is not talking about some emotional experience. We're talking about uh, a a uh, a rigorous a rigorous process of a court, Sanhedrin, the, dealing with did the person do the crime or did not do the crime? Was he conscious of it? Was it malicious? Was it willing? You know, you're dealing really with hard, cold, dry facts. And even in such an issue, such an area, la halacha. Because of that, they suspended the whole Sanhedrin every Friday. Only because of this reason. You could do it all Friday. But since you may have to continue on, 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 uh, on Sunday, not only the next morning, that's a big break, especially a break of Shabbos, and everybody knows that Shabbos completely interrupts the week in a good way. And what happens next week is a, is a new cheshbet. It's not like just one night and you take a break. It's not just the time. It's the whole energy of Shabbos is like a... It's like a, an, it's an oasis, you know, it's, a, it's an oasis in time, like a transcendental island in time. The Balotanya says that uh, the reason we say in Shish Al-Yayim, Hayayim Yom Rishin, Hayayim Yom Sheni, Hayayim Yom Shlishi Bashabas, even though technically this is not the third day of, uh, of uh, uh, or, or the fourth day or the fifth day, because thousands and thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of days have passed since creation. So if we're really uh, counting, so uh, it's not day one or day two or day three, but nonetheless, every week is a hischachos. It's, it's perpetuating once again Shiva Simei So Shabbos really ends, in some ways, Shabbos is the end of history. 
and you start again. That's why we say Yom Shekulei Shabbos and Menucha is affected. You have a taste in every Shabbos. So after Shabbos, it was like a whole new consciousness, and they simply cannot go back there easily, or at least even if some could, but it, it's not so simple. And they did not want that interruption because the Sanhedrin put their entire soul and their entire mind, their entire consciousness into every Pesach Din. As the Gemara says, Even with money, you weren't allowed to say, oh, it's only $10 or $100. They had to have the same sincerity when it came to a question of $100 as it came to a question of $100 million. That's the Din and a real dayan, a real rav, it's no difference because the point is not the money, how much money, the point is what God wants. What God wants about a dime is exactly what he wants about a hundred million dollars. I mean, we all, all understand the difference in terms of financial benefits or losses, but in terms of truth, the truth of chosh and mishpat, as far as one dollar is the same truth as far as ten million dollars. So that's why it says, La'ilam alecha din pruta kedin meya. If a dayan, if the Sanhedrin is faced with a question of a pruta, of a nickel or a dime, they have to take it as two kids are fighting over a dime. They have to take it as seriously as two litigants coming over a Yerusha of 20 buildings on Madison Avenue or 5th Avenue of Manhattan with the same, with the same sincerity and the same conviction. <laughs> now, as a result of this, Lahalacha. You can't do it out of Shabbos. They can't do it. They have to do it. They have to wait till Sunday. Sunday they're not off. And Sunday that's when they do it. Well, so, if I'm speaking uh, as a Dayan, trying to be modestic to defend it, the people who are, the other Dayan who are listening to me are also listening only to words. Even whether written or verbal. It's of, still, course. Well, getting, the, of course. Of course. But for me as a modestic, yes. I might not right. The, the judge himself who has to speak up on Sunday, he may look at his arguments on Friday. And they may not resonate. They may not resonate in the same way. Any of you who uh, take notes or journals of your thoughts or ideas, you may look at them a month later and a year later and it just... You you, you have to recreate it. I have everything, you don't have everything. In fact, you have almost nothing. You have a memory of it because you have the words, but you don't really, you don't really have it. And it doesn't mean that the words were insincere. They were sincere, and they were real. They were authentic. But they're kalim, and all kalim are limited. They limit the full majesty and depth, even if they're completely authentic and they express tremendous emotion. And at the time, the words were channeling your deepest depths, and they were. But because they came through kalim, their full, their full experience. You have the full experience because when we speak, we don't start with words. We start with what's behind the words. I often tell people they ask about communication and speaking and explaining. People often don't realize, and it's probably good to know in life uh, if whenever you want to speak or communicate. When you speak, you don't start with words, hopefully. <laughs> you start with thoughts or you have a feeling or you have an idea. And now somebody says, so why don't you share it, right? So what are you sharing? You're not sharing words. You're sharing what you're experiencing internally. What the audience hears, they don't have your experience. They know nothing of what's happening inside. The Gemara says, Nobody knows what other people are thinking or feeling. I guess we should say, thank God, right? You could sit in somebody's presence and have all types of interesting thoughts about that. If they would know, if everybody would know what everybody else is thinking all the time, it would be a little complicated, right? 
or very complicated. So it's one of the miracles that uh, thought remains behind closed doors. All you have from the other person is his words. So very often people express themselves. They think they're expressing themselves, but they're not. Because the people are only hearing the words. You have the emotion behind the words, but the person doesn't have access to that emotion. So how do you figure out how to compress that emotion in words? That's a skill and an art in and of itself. That's why people will sometimes express themselves and nobody is getting it. Because you have to learn how to take that and transport it into a new world, and that's called the world of Dibur. It's in the, the terminology of the Balatanya often that's being used in the Smaimis to take the oir and channel it through Kalim. And that's a brutal process because Kalim will always limit, obstruct, curtail, conceal, they'll turn infinity into finiteness. It always needs structure, a beginning, a middle, and an end. That's the definition of Kalim. Kalim are brutal vessels that undermine the full intensity of of the light. But the blessing is it's the only way to transmit it to a place that doesn't have access to that light. For example, communication between one person and another person. Very often, uh, I grew up in the home of a journalist, so I uh, saw journalism uh, very up close. And uh, writers are sometimes artists. Great writers are artists, like painters or other artists. They have ideas and dreams, and they'll write an article, you know, 6,000 words. The problem is the op-ed page in a newspaper only allows for articles of 1,000 words. So you're a writer, you put your whole neshama, you stayed up three nights, writers love middle of the night because nobody disturbs, you stayed up three nights, you submitted this article to the editor-in-chief. In your mind, this is the greatest masterpiece that has ever been transcribed in the history of humanity, Yeah? Not only since Shakespeare, but uh, since Hammer, or even before. And the editor comes, and he sees 6,000 words. What is he going to do with 6,000 words? Give you the whole newspaper? There's a lot of news. So he has to cut it to 1,000 words, right? There's an expression in Yiddish, my father would say, A schreiber starpnischt von Herzfelleren, a starpt von Druckfelleren. Which means a writer doesn't die from heart failure. I don't know how to translate. Doesn't die from heart failure. He dies from uh, press failure. Meaning, uh, when he sees uh, when he sees that his article was was cut up, or there's mistakes, or a paragraph was taken out, he's looking at it from a perspective of oir. The editor is talking, looking at it from a perspective of kalim. Sometimes dollars and cents. I need my readers to buy it. I need advertisement. I need people to like it. I need a good headline. It's a completely different perspective. You have many artists, Van Gogh and others, who died penniless. Today their paintings sell for uh, (laughs) tens of millions of dollars. They died penniless. They couldn't pay for their own tombstone. Because very often artists are people of Oyer. Businessmen are people of Caleb. What's the difference? Oyer is about expression. Pristine artistic, poetic expression. Kalim is about literally packaging it. It's always packaging. It's packaging. Now there's cynical packaging and there's professional packaging, but it's the same concept. It's the concept of how to take this and translate it in a way that's easily transmittable. Translate it into a tweet message or into where people have ideas, right? But then there's the, the 60 second clips that go viral. Why? Because, yeah, 
As people often tell me, they say, you know, Yeshurim are very good, but they're two hours, or they're an hour, whatever they are. Nobody, most people have the attention span of 12 seconds. Can you put it into 12 seconds? If you could say it in 12 seconds, they say that there was once, uh, there was once a rabbi who would give very long sermons, and the president would always argue with them that you have to speak short. He said, but they're so brilliant. What am I... So he says, no, you have to make it short. They would argue for years. Anyway, one day, the president was going nowhere. So he tells the rabbi, he says, you know, I feel that you need a universal, international audience. You're brilliant. He says, I agree. So he says, so I secure time on television, national, on CNN. I secure time. Sunday, they're going to hear your sermon. Wow. That's amazing. He says, but they can't do it in an hour. You don't have an hour at CNN. It all costs tens of millions of dollars. So the rabbi said, how much? He says, you think you could put it into uh, shorter? The rabbi says, if I really work hard, I can cut it to a half an hour. He says, you're going to get a half an hour on, on national, international TV? Who's going to give you a half an hour? Yeah. The president doesn't get a half an hour. Okay, that's not a chiddish maybe on CNN, but uh, but uh, who who gets a half an hour? Nobody gets a half an hour. Uh, he says, if I really work hard... I can do it in 15 minutes. He says, 15 minutes? Where am I getting $25 million every week to give you 15 minutes? Could you do anything better? He says, how could I? Okay, so not is not. If you don't want to go on TV, you won't go on TV. So after this whole conversation, the rabbi says, you know, if I really, really, with sleepless nights and endless work, I can put it into five minutes. He says, five minutes on TV? There's no way you're going to get five minutes. It's millions of dollars. Could you put in the entire speech into a minute? The message, the message. So after thinking, thinking, he says, it's impossible. He says, okay, canceled. I guess he wanted it. So he says, if I really want, I could convey it in a minute. He says, really? He says, yes. So why don't you do that every single Shabbos, he says. Why do we sit an hour every single Shabbos and suffer from you if you could convey it, convey it in a minute? Right. So... The point is, Iris and Kalim are the system that God created in the entire universe. There's nothing that can happen without the marriage, without the synthesis of Eir and Kali. Eir is the energy, and Kali is the packaging. Kali is the container. Now, it exists in, in hundreds and, and endless manifestations. I say hundreds, I mean really endless manifestations of how to translate it. You have the music notes... Anybody here reads musical notes? Nobody? Okay. Baruch Hashem. And, uh, and then you have the music. When you look at the musical notes, I open up a music book, I take a look, what do you see? Yeah, what do you see? You see black lines and black dots, right? I once saw a great musical artist open up a book and he, and he started to smile. I open up the book, I don't start smiling. He was smiling because he started to hum. He started to uh, hum a tune to himself. And he saw, that's a keli. There's, there's an idea. Let's say people who write books. There's the idea, and then there's writing it down. That's what he's saying here, oisius. The idea is the oir. That's not so hard because it's, it's infinite, it's undefined, it's endless. But then the keli is brutal. You have to now structure it, contain it. And it's always limited. A keli is limited. You can't access water from the Niagara Falls in order to drink. We have bottles, we have cups, we have pitchers. 
It has to be, everything has to be in a keli in order to transmit it to a new reality, to a new place. Businessmen always focus on keli. <laughs> always. Packaging, transmitting, audiences, getting the people. They're much less idealistic, right? Artists focus very much on oil, creativity, expression, and that's why many of them die in their basements penniless. Because when the businessman came to them and said, I'll turn this into a success story, what are you going to do? Oh, we're going to have to change this and change that and change that, and this is not going to work. You're killing my art. You're killing my art. And artists can't stand Caleb, because Caleb challenged their, what they would like to call their free, emancipated, uninhibited expression. Caleb is always about how is the recipient going to relate to it. If he doesn't have access to it, your oil, for all practical purposes, is futile. It's good for you. The same is true in everything. Take a marriage. People are getting married. What's the oil of marriage? The oil of marriage is the creativity of it, the energy, the passion, the love, the affection. What's the kalim of marriage? Taking out the garbage. (laughs) You understand? Paying bills, running a home, dealing with stress and problems. That's where the oil very often gets brutally, brutally cut down because people have visions, yeah? Everyone sitting in this room, I don't know everyone, you have visions, you're going to create businesses, organizations, movements, you write, I know a person who created more corporations, businesses and organizations than anybody in history, everybody put together. Every day he creates a new movement, but always on paper. It's on paper and it's in his mind. But when it comes practical, there's overhead and there's people and there's investment and there's money and there's a place. And that's where so much of the oil of life gets drowned out and overwhelmed and obliterated because of the brutal, brutal expectations of Caleb. He still says that the is also Of course. Caleb are always Megala. How do I write music without musical notes? How do I convey my ideas without putting it into a book or an essay? How do I convey my music without these notes? How do I uh, get my art out without people who are into the world of marketing and into the world of, uh, of PR, of publicity? You understand? How do you translate a vision into the real world? You have a vision, you have an idea, it's beautiful, you're excited, you're dancing, you're dreaming. But how do you get it into the real world? Right? How do you get 7 billion people to buy into your vision? <laughs> My internal experience, if we get 7 billion people, how do you get 20 people to buy into your vision? Might also work. Right? People have products. How many people create products? But mo- most of these products, where do they end up in? I once asked a big publisher, how many manuscripts does he get? Yeah? 100,000 manuscripts. 100,000 manuscripts a week. It says every American thinks he's an author. Every American thinks he's an author. So he has manuscripts sent in. Now 99.9 of them, they look at them and they go to the dustbin. But that sometimes, there's, actually, there's, not, there's no real oil there. Now the person thinks that there's something there. Fine. So Zion. But the point is, everything in life is about a marriage of oil and keli. Oil is the energy and keli is the containing the manifestation of the energy, which always must limit it. And that's even within the person themselves. And that's why when people communicate, if you don't know how to take your ur into your keli, it will not work because nobody has access to your ur. They only have access to your ur through your keli. That's what the function of a keli is. The keli accesses it and transmits it to a world where the ur doesn't exist. But 
It's the only way to reveal it, as you say. Caleb reveal. But in order to reveal, they also always conceal. That's their nature. Or is that an advantage? Why, why, why don't we not water down the ore and keep it to ourselves and keep the, and keep the ore as quiet as, as possible? Okay, so you're saying what's the advantage of it? The advantage of that is let's talk about communication. If a person never communicates, they remain isolated, right? The only way we could communicate is by employing the the reality of Caleb. If we talk about it here in the in the ultimate message, when it talks of, when we talk about Hashem, if there was only Shem Havaya, which is Makir Ha'iris, and not Shem Alekim, which is Makir Ha'kelim, what would be, as he said, the Ur is not Lefi Erech There could not be a communication of the light to the worlds. The worlds would have to cease to exist because the light, by definition, is infinite. Now we're talking about the divine Ur, the, the source of all Ur. Everything is iron, Kaylee, but I, I'm just giving mishalom from people which obviously are never complete, but they give us some understanding. In the, when we talk about the divine, are you talking about something that's infinite, something that's undefined, something that something that is uh, indivisible? So therefore, ah, so without Kalim, it's impossible, right? That the Olamus, any universe, any consciousness, which is based, as he's put, on Yesh and Gvul, which has identity. There's a certain container, there's a certain sense of identity, who I am. Even the highest worlds, the spiritual worlds, certainly the lower worlds, and this finiteness, they would not be able to exist. So the Ur is curtailed. It has to be curtailed through Shem Alekim. What is Shem Alekim? Shem Alekim represents, as he said, Midas Hatzimtzum, which is the ability to conceal and to curtail the Ur. That's the necessity always of Kalim, to bring it to a place where it does not, where the earth itself does not exist, or it's not, it's not a Kali for that earth, right? You'll have, for example, a teacher. Let's talk about a teacher. Many of you sat for many years and learned with teachers. Some of them were geniuses. They had a lot of earth, but they didn't have Kalim, right? I remember watching, a sh- I was sitting at a shear of somebody. He's already in the Olam Amas. He was a gone Olam, Taka, a real or genius. There were a lot, a lot of people. I don't know if more than one or two people understood a word that came out of his mouth. But he didn't realize it. He was so excited. <laughs> and he got more excited. And the more excited he was, the more people were just losing it. They were dozing off. We're not like, whoa, you know, when that plane goes right over your head, like, whoops, right over. And what was the issue? The issue was he was expressing his oy. He was expressing his wisdom. He was not curtailing it. And Caleb, sometimes you have a communicator, a teacher, that a five-year-old could understand. Why? Because it's contained, it's compressed, it's mitzumtzum, it's restricted in vessels that measure up and are custom-made and tailor-made to the mindset and to the emotional standing of the person you're speaking to. Education is about Caleb as much as it's about Iris. How many fathers or mothers want to connect to their children? They have the passion, they have the love, they come home. Tonight I'm going to bond with my kids, right? But the problem is I only know how to express myself. I don't know how to go into the world of the other person and know what they need or what they want. So you try very hard and they completely shut you down. And you become even more disappointed and alienated. What was the challenge? The challenge was, does a person have the humility to be able to say, it's not about my oy. I have to figure out what's the right keli for this oy. Because if you don't have that humility, 
you can give and express and express, but nobody's getting it. In fact, sometimes what you're trying to do is perceived in the opposite way. And it's not about guilt. It's not about if you're at fault or not. It's not about judging anybody. It's about the humility of understanding the process of reaching into somebody else's heart. You have to be able to know the language of that heart. I don't know that language, and if I'm not ready to know that language, because this is who I am, and this is how I do things. You like it, good. You don't like it, jump off, ju- jump off the Tappan Zee Bridge and the GW, Bebasachas. Okay? So that you could say to your employee, and they may listen, they may not listen. Yeah. When it comes to somebody you care for deeply and earnestly, hopefully your employee also care for, but if it's a different level of caring... So then I sometimes have to ask myself, maybe I need a tutorial on the world of Kalim. Because Ur, in this sense, uh, this is not so applicable to the message here, but sometimes Ur in a way could be selfish. What do I mean selfish? It's my expression. It has nothing to do with you. You're going to benefit nothing from it. It's my expression. It's my creativity. I don't know if I ever told you, one of the students of the Magad of Mizrich was the Ponim Yafis. Repinchis Halevi Ish Horowitz. He's known as the Bal Hafla. He wrote a book, Sefer Maseches Kiddushin, called Sefer Hamaknet, studied in all the yeshivish. It's a yeshivish Sefer and Sefer Haflon Ksuvis, Haflaz, Haraf, Pinchas, Levi, Yisharowitz. He's known as the Balafla. He wrote a Persian chumash, chumash very deep. It's called Ponim Yafis. He was of, one of the Goinim of his time, the Balafla. He became a Talmud of the Magid of Mizrich. In fact, he was one of the people who pushed Balatanya very hard when he saw his writings of the Shulchan Aruch, Hilchis Pesach, he pushed him very hard, he and his brother, Reb Shmalka of Neklishburg, to, to do the Shulchan Aruch Harav. So, the, the Ponim Yafis, I saw, writes, I think in his Agdama, the Gemara says in Maseches Chagiga, that you should only learn from a Rebbe, who's like a Malach, like an angel. If your Rebbe, if your teacher is like an angel, then learn from him. If not, not. Now, what does this mean? First of all, we're going to find a Rav Malach. It's like an impossible condition. First of all, what does it mean he's an angel? He's an angel, yeah? It's like one, one woman was telling her, her friend, she said, you know, my husband is a Malach. <laughs> he's a Malach. And the other one starts crying. She says, unfortunately, mine is still here. So, uh, oh, the other one said, uh, I know what you mean. Mine is also not a mensch. Okay, so what does it mean? He's a malach. What, what, he's not a mensch. He's an angel. What, he doesn't have a yetzahara. Are we going to find such a rav? And what's bechlal the expectation? I mean, so, so the Panam Yafis gives a very interesting interpretation. He says that uh, the Pasuk says in Scharia, we just said it in the Haftarah of Shabbos Hanukkah, V'nasati lecha mahalchim bein ha'oimdim ha'ela. I will allow you to be a mover, a mahalech, a goer, among those who are standing. So it says in Svarim that Mahalchim is the term for Neshamas and Oimdim is the term for Malachim. Why? Because Malachim, even though they grow, but more or less they stand in one place. They grow within their orbit. Only a Neshama down here is capable of what we would call quantum leaps, quantum transformation, radical growth. A Malach, he is, it's like a pre-programmed spiritually, so, you know, your computer may develop, but it's all within its own orbit. It's predictable. It's expected. There's no radical movement and transformation. The only one who could surprise reality is a soul down here, like we learned in the Mimer of Toldos and Torah, Yitzchak, laughter, 
comes from the unexpected that can only happen with through bitul hayesh. So the neshama is called a mahalech, and the malach is called an oimid, because more or less he stands in one place. So he says, Only if your rav is like a malach, then you should learn from him. Why? <laughs> so the Panam Yafis explains as follows. He says, many teachers, yeah, taking yeshivas, yeah, you're learning, uh, you're learning the same seven mesechtas, yeah? This teacher already gave a shir on this mesechta for 35 years, Okay. So when he learns it again, what is he interested in this shit? He wants to say a chiddush. He wants to show his creativity. He wants to show his unique contribution. Yeah? So he gets into the depths of the suga, some achloikas between the Rambam and the Raivad, and he gives an hour, two-hour shir on it, and he feels all happy about it. So there's only one problem. His students don't know how to read a Mishnah. Students don't understand the first line in Gemara. But you want him to curtail his creativity and focus on tightening up every single word for Gemara. That's good for, 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 for a teacher of a four-year-old, not for him. So he says, only if your Rav is if he feels that he always has to be a Mahalach, <laughs> the, 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 the class is an opportunity for his growth, then he's a good guy, but he's not a teacher. He has to be like a Malach. A Malach is somebody who's ready to remain on Oymid, standing in one place, I, I don't feel I'm progressing further and further. But if you're a teacher, your main responsibility is to mentor. To mentor your student. And therefore you have to go down to that world and make sure you're communicating a message to that person. And the truth is through that, probably he'll also grow much more. But that's his point. So it's always about the marriage between Iris and Caleb. If you want to transmit it into another world, if you want to remain isolated, then you're right. Then you don't need the... Then you don't need Caleb. Because yeah, Van Gogh gave into marketing, we wouldn't have Van Gogh. If, if the Ragachover was said every word, we wouldn't have thousands of of, of Svarim trying to figure out. You're right, that. you're right. You're right. There's, there's, the, there's the beauty that Akachover in his writing, his Caleb are very poor. That's true. And it's a pity. That's the greatness, I'm sure it's I'm not sure it's greatness. Listen, the Rukhachava did not have writing skills, okay? He was, he was one of the most brilliant people who lived, but he did not have the ability to put it in writing. It's almost impossible to understand him. Uh, Rabbi Shlomo Yosef Zevin, the editor of Encyclopedia Talmudus, was one of the great writers of halachic literature. He's probably the one who established the modern way of writing halacha in all circles. I think he is the person that everybody copies, consciously or unconsciously. Rabbi Yosef Zevin writes that Rakachava, when he spoke, a five-year-old understood. When he writes, unless you know Shaz, Bavli, Yerushalmi, and that's not even beginning. You have to know Toisefta, right? And you have to know <coughs> everything. <laughs> you can't even begin to understand. And even if you do know, you don't understand because it's Ein, 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 Ein. He'll give a hundred Eins and you have to know what he means. Yeah, They say there was a person who once sent him a question. And uh, he wrote back Ayn, a hundred, a hundred sources. But he would never write what he means. Ayn Saitem Em Gimel, Ayn Menachas Daf Yud, Ayn Toisvis, Ayn Rambam, Ayn this. But he didn't, he didn't even quote it. So you have to, you have to go through the whole page, figure out what he meant. It was almost impossible. And anyway, this guy couldn't figure out what his answer. So he went to Sabig Yid, who understood the Rakachava, and he told him that Rakachava basically referenced him every time it says in Shaz the word Shaita. <laughs> I'm brachas, I'm this, I'm this, and basically off this. 
Kutshava was better than Google. Lahavdu. It was better than Google. But when it came to writing, she just didn't have that. Did he lack the skill? Did he lack the time? Did he lack the enthusiasm? Did he lack the willingness? He was just in the Kachavi Yitaka see much more oiders than Kalim. It's like a good example. And that's why nobody knows his Torah. But in response to that question, that's part of the beauty of Torah also. The reason Rukhain Brisk was able to write Kadush on the Rambam. He had Kalim. He's, he's trying to get to the Rambams or through the Kalim. Yeah. That's why people can argue. They say the Rambam only has these Kalim. That's not what his real Oran Chachma was. That's proof of what goes on. Reb Chaim Brisk had much better Kalim. Much better Kalim. You see how he writes. His Kiddush Reb Chaim Alevi. He was with students. He had a yeshiva. He was in Valarjan. It was a different style. But he's, he's going back to the Rambam's Kalim to try to extract... Yeah, Eina Chaname. Eina Chaname. Eina Chaname. But one thing Rekhachava did not do, he did not uh, mitigate or dilute his messages. That's for sure. But if you were him, you understood what he said. Now, over the years, there have been many people who have tried to decipher him, to some degree, well, to some degree, not. Most of his teaching still remains a, a, an oitzer chasm. Huh? An oitzer chasm. But that's, that's rather a classic example of this. Uh, by him, the oil is much more than the keli, for sure. You're right. You're right. You open up a tzofnes paneach, or any one of his tshuvas, his oil is completely beyond the keli. His kelim and oil are not the same. If words are kelim and, and, and ideas are oil, his oil is completely, completely, which is why, however, you gain an appreciation of it, because you see how much there is. Yeah. That's what we need. We also that's why we're talking about the limits of Caleb and the virtue of Caleb. Rabbi Jacobson spoke earlier about that when someone speaks, yeah. it naturally limits what, what's the essence of that person yeah. trying to say. So, like, husband and wife is the most intense um, communication yeah. I've, I've experienced in my life. And um, so sometimes... You're the only one, I think. <laughs> so sometimes when my wife says something or I say something, and there's a limitation in what we say, then there's also the receiving end, like my eyes and my ears hear it, and sometimes it's also like a keli that's limiting, I'm not, I'm not receiving from the or, I'm also, and when, if we, if we, if I could, or if we could receive more from the or, and have, it's more like forgetting, or like having Rachmanis, and like trying to hear what the other person is saying, I think that's another 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 powerful example for Iris and Kalim. I mean you're giving the example of marriage. It's true in marriage, but it's true really with all communication. But I guess in marriage it's very dramatic and very evident. And that is sometimes a, a wife or a husband has a certain feeling, a certain experience, and they convey it through words. Well, what you're hearing is not necessarily what they mean. In fact, sometimes it's the opposite. It's the opposite of what they mean, right? Or they may not have been able to express For whatever reason, yeah. either they may have not been able to express it, or you may not have the, or you may not have, I don't mean you, but anybody may not have the ability to hear it. In other words, to, to me, basically, we hear things also based on our experience, based on our self-awareness, based on our concept of who we are right if somebody deep down feels like they're uh, worthless they're going to interpret most of the things their wife says to them 
as another indication that they're worthless, right? She may actually mean the exact opposite, <laughs> but he doesn't hear it. So he's getting angry at his spouse for thinking that he's worthless because that's what he heard. But the reason he heard that is because that's what he was capable of hearing through his kalim. So remember, you're communicating your earth through your kalim. I'm receiving your kalim through my kalim. <laughs> so there's a, there's a process here, because I also come with my kalim, and you come with your kalim, and they often clash. That's why it's always important to be able to... Uh, to examine what is what is what is the keli that's being used, how I'm experiencing it. Yeah, are you expressing what you really mean, and the ability to be able to tune into what the other person is saying and experiencing, not only how it's being heard by me, because maybe their own oyer is not being processed through the adequate keli. So that's uh, work. That's always work in progress because there's nothing in the world that is not achieved and created through a marriage and a synthesis of these two forces. Everything. How about No. What's... Uh, what is... Uh, that's true. That's also true. Yeah. 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 And sometimes the art could be communicated in different Caleb. Okay. Teirah Shabbik Sav is Ayr. Teirah Shabbalpes Kalim, yeah. Teirah Shabbik Sav is Ayr. It's very intense. Everything is there. But it's often not explained. It's Biremas. The Gemara says, Lekem midi deloyre mizi bairaisa. And Teirah Shabbalpes, the Kalim for Teirah Shabbik Sav. On another level, Teirah Shabbalpes is also Ayr, of course. Sometimes a Kalim. On one level is Ayr Lagabe, another level. You know what I mean? Who says that feeling an over is the Ikka rather than me myself elevating to the order as much as possible? Yesh Bazeh Mashain Bazeh, Yesh Bazeh Mashain Bazeh. Lagabe the Makabel, if you care for the recipient, Kalim are more important. If you're focusing on the self, then oil is more important. You're right. What is? Balance. If you're teaching a class and you're ignoring the students, so that's more important. If you're trying to reach an audience... Are we trying to elevate ourselves or are we trying to elevate other people? I mean, first of all, even within ourselves, you have both. But uh, I think life includes both. There's the avoida of one person with himself or herself, and there's our avoida with other people. I mean, there is a Torah avoida chasadim. I mean, al And Hillel says that the whole Torah is right? The whole Torah is a pirush and Yisrael. So, but Mipsar Chal to Salim. Did I answer your question? You can, you can, you can teach yourself how to use Caleb. You can teach yourself about Caleb. Can you do the same thing with Irish? Can you? 
discover new iris? Of course. If that's not your, you know, it's not your personality. Of course, of course. Just like the the character of Oyer must find Caleb, the character of Caleb must open himself to Oyer. But is it, is it, can you do it with, from yourself, or is it you have to find Oyer from around you, meaning you can find your Oyer? I think both are true. I mean, there's those things that we can discover only through others because because they'll make us aware of it. And then there's things we'll discover within ourselves, and sometimes the two converge. Others allow you to see things within yourself. I mean, that's really what it's about. Because I can't really copy somebody else, but I can uh, learn from somebody else or become aware through somebody else about my own potential or what exists inside of me. So the two then converge. Thank you for your illustration. It was Hasagas Gvul, you know. Usually I'm the one who does the metaphors with marriage. You usurped my position. But it's fine, I forgive you. Everyone was upset. They're married for a while. I'm just joking. But usually they make fun of me that I'm the one who gives those metaphors. But today I didn't mention it, and then you had to mention it. Yeah, it's the most intense communication, I think. Yes, yes, yes. Hashem made that. Hashem made that arrangement so that we can grow them all. How many times? In Shas? Really? You could send me a link? Just send me a link. Totally after Kaylee. Uh, the Kaylee's are Gitta Kaylee, Haltzuch. The Kaylee's are Tzabrach and a Kaylee. Haltzuch. So we said that. Very nice. The pre this class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.